You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. You know, the thing that really strikes me about the Clinton email story, well, a lot strikes me about it. The fact that justice is utterly dead in our nation, uh, that strikes me, for example. That's, that's a minor little detail that some might consider uh, remarkable. But beyond that, you know, I, I've already written something about that. So beyond it, I can't stop thinking about how blatant this all was, how completely in your face the corruption was and is. They're not even trying to cover it up, really. They're not even trying. Now, let's go back and and consider the timeline of events again, because it's really incredible when you think about how this all played out and how quickly it all played out. So last week, the the Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, and Bill Clinton had, uh, as everyone has now heard, an impromptu, quote-unquote, meeting at the the Phoenix airport. And they spoke secretly for about a half hour. And later they said that this secret conversation between the head of the Justice Department and the husband of a woman currently under federal investigation was about golf and grandkids. That's what this urgent um, meeting was about. Golf and grandkids. A couple of days later, the Clinton camp announced, very coincidentally, of course, I mean, it's just a coincidence. Don't read anything into this, but... They just happened to announce that uh, that Clinton will likely keep Lynch on as attorney general if Clinton wins the presidency, if she wins the presidency. And oh, by the way, if she's indicted, she won't win the presidency. So, oh, by the way, uh, Loretta Lynch, if you want a job, you have to make sure that we're still that, that I'm going to be president. That, of course, that that couldn't have been what what she meant by that. But one might interpret it that way. One might interpret it that way when you offer a job to the woman tasked with investigating you. (laughs) And then on Saturday, Clinton was uh, interviewed by the FBI about her emails. On Tuesday morning, while Clinton was on Air Force One with Obama on the way to a campaign event in North Carolina, the FBI director announced that Clinton will not be or should not be indicted. Now, Let's let's back up for a moment. Those last two. Let's think about on Saturday, Clinton was interviewed by the FBI about her emails on Tuesday. And then you had a holiday weekend, July 3rd, July 4th, Sunday, Monday. On Tuesday morning, it was announced that she should not be indicted. So when was the decision made that this indictment should not happen? We have to assume it wasn't made that morning, right? It, was, it wasn't literally made on Tuesday morning, 15 minutes before he got up. He didn't even know what he was going to say 15 minutes. He, he was, in the, he was uh, you know, backstage trying to figure it out still. He was like me when I was, when I was uh, you know, in middle school doing my homework on the bus on the way to school. You know? Let's assume that wasn't the case. So at the, at the latest, he would have figured out that he's not going to or he's not going to recommend indictment uh, sometime on Monday, at the very latest. 
So we're talking about two days at most, two days from when they interviewed Clinton to when they decided not to indict her. So I ask, what was the point of the interview? Because there is no way that in the span of about 48 hours, on, including on July 4th, when the entire government is shut down, that you, that you could investigate and check up on and confirm all of the things that Clinton told you in the interview. So it's like the interview didn't matter. It was, it was all for show. And then you just so happened to announce three days later on the very morning that Obama and Clinton are, are set to start campaigning together. You just so happened to announce right then that uh, you're not recommending an indictment. Because indeed, mere hours later, Obama and Clinton did their first campaign stop together. Clinton was cleared publicly by the FBI days after a meeting between Bill Clinton and the Attorney General, literally hours before the president was scheduled to stand on stage with Hillary and sing her praises. Like I said, they're not even trying to hide it. The fix is in and they don't care who knows it. There, there is no justice in America and they don't care if you, they want you to know it. They want you to know it. They want you to know that they are immune from justice. <clears throat> And if they are immune from justice, then justice cannot be said to, in any sense, exist. After all, the laws that constrain the most powerful people are the most important. Okay? So if they are not subject to the laws, then, then there is no law, really. Because if, if I were to break the law as a measly little blogger on the internet... There's only so much damage I could do. Even if I, wanted, even if I wanted to do the most damage I possibly could. Even if I said I, I want to cause the most havoc and chaos that I possibly can. I could certainly do some damage, that's for sure. Anyone could if they really set their mind to it. But if the, sec- if, if, if the president, a high-ranking government official, decides that you know, they want to do all the damage they possibly can, um, they can do quite a bit more. If the Secretary of State breaks the law, she and I couldn't, it doesn't matter what law I break or no matter what I do, I cannot do what she did, which is jeopardize the safety and security of hundreds of millions, even billions of people. The Secretary of State can send entire regions of the world into chaos, anarchy, and bloodshed. That's what the Secretary of State can do if she is not constrained by the law. And that is exactly what the Secretary of State did. Not just with her emails, but when you look at her, at her adventures in Libya, Benghazi, that's what happens. Now there's only whatever the most powerful say the law is at any given moment. That's the law. The law is their word. Like they're God speaking. But they're not God. So if the law is their word, then the law is not real. But they're so clear about this. That's what I go back to. Making no attempt to hide it. And, and, you know, that says something about us, doesn't it? See, you know, I tend to be a party pooper. Um, well, I'm really, I'm a, I'm a pity party pooper, which is, number one, fun to say, pity party pooper. Say that five times fast. But what I mean is, I don't like to just sit around and feel sorry for ourselves as citizens and say, oh, what was us? How did this happen? We're such victims. We're victims. We're victims. No, we're not victims. We know how this happens. The powers that be aren't worried about making us angry because why should they? We give them no reason to. What are we going to do about it? That's what they say to us. They say, yeah, we're corrupt. What are you going to do about it, peons? Nothing. 
you idiots. You sheep, you cattle. You'll just walk right along. As long as we keep you fed and fat, you don't care, you morons. That's what the government's saying to us. And we're saying, yeah, yeah, pretty much. All we do is line up in November, keep voting for the same types of people. It never ends. We do as we're told in the end. In the end, we care about what the media tells us to care about for as long as they tell us to care about it, and that's it. That might not be true of every American individually, but it's true generally of the American population as a whole. Thomas Jefferson said the government uh, ought to fear the people. And, and that's a good insight, but also pretty extreme when you think about it. Shocking, even, at, at least to, to modern people who've gotten so used to these weak, dull, milk-toast politicians who've never uttered a single word that wasn't tested by focus groups. Can you imagine a, you know, a, a Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson in, in modern times at a debate or something, saying, saying something like that? And then you have one of those Frank Luntz, one of those insufferable Frank Luntz focus groups, and they're doing that little squiggly line thing where they, where they react to every single word as it's being said with the little squiggly line. And they would hear that, and, and the, the lines would go all the way down. And, and then later in the focus group, Frank Luntz would say, oh, you, you know, that part, you didn't like that part. That part, well, when, when Thomas Jefferson said that the government should fear the people, you didn't like that. You reacted really, why is that? And someone's like, well, you know, it really made me feel uncomfortable when he said that. It made me feel uncomfortable. You know, it really made my stomach hurt. Um, my stomach hurts when, when politicians say things like that, that I just found it kind of scary. It, was, it scared me. That's how that would go. Because it's a violent statement. The implications are obvious. What Thomas Jefferson was saying, it's, it's violent. He's saying the government should behave itself because, because it knows, if it does not, the last resort, the last resort for the people is to dissolve the government violently and start over. That's what Jefferson was saying. That was his point. Because that's what he did. You know, that's, what, that's what him and his buddies did. And he was saying to the people, if we get out of line like, like, uh, like the government we left got out of line, then you guys know what to do. You guys know what to do. But our government isn't worried about that. They're not worried about um, anything. They're, they're not even worried about a peaceful revolt at the polls. They're not worried about that. So they'll be corrupt and they'll practically advertise it, you know. Really, the, the most incredible thing about Hillary Clinton isn't that she's a corrupt liar, but that she's such a bad liar, considering she does it so often. As someone with so much experience lying, you'd think she'd have mastered the art by now, but she's a terrible liar. She's awful because she doesn't need to be good. She's never, had to, had to, had to, she's never been forced to hone her lying craft. She's gotten away with bad lies her whole life, and uh, just like she got away with these lies about the emails, she's never been made to answer for them. So th this really comes back to us. We have not been the sort of citizens who guard our liberty jealously, who believe zealously in the law, who defend truth with conviction. We have not been the sort of people who will rise up and demand not ask, I said demand justice and accountability. We have not been the sort of citizens who, if, uh, who if, you know, if, if push comes to shove and our demands are not met, will take justice, will force the issue. We have not been those sorts of people. We are not that. And so we have Hillary Clinton, a woman whose character and talent are so suspect that she shouldn't even be able to land a job as a supervisor at the DMV, yet here she is, almost president. 
Why is that? Why? Why is it like this? Why don't we hold our leaders accountable? Why aren't they afraid of us like they should be? Well, I see three reasons. Uh, Number one, this is a result of the information age. You know, the interesting thing is that if, if you were to go back in time and tell somebody from five centuries ago about the technological state of things now, you know, tell him about all this. Well, he wouldn't be able to comprehend it. You know, he would have no point of reference. It would just be total nonsense to him. But to whatever extent he could understand it, he'd really reasonably arrive at the conclusion that the people of our time must be like gods and that we must live in a utopia. He would hear how we have access to all of the knowledge in the universe, everything that is known, everything that has ever been learned and recorded and survived All of that can be accessed in an instant. If he heard that a person in the future carries around in his pocket, that just an average person, an average Joe Schmo in the future carries around in his pocket a device that 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 can give him any piece of information, answer any question, allow him to communicate instantly with anyone from anywhere in the world. If he heard this this person in the past, he would think that this technology has turned us into superhuman creatures. He would assume that. And and certainly he would assume that the corruption and decay of his time, of his time, that he figures uh, are largely the result of ignorance and idiocy, would no longer exist. Everyone knows everything in the future. So he reasons that, uh, therefore, there must be harmony. And, And certainly... You couldn't have government officials running around being the same kind of petty crooks and tyrants they've always been. How could they? The people know everything. You can't get anything past them. And so this person in the past would would, would go to bed dreaming at night about this paradise that that awaits mankind. (laughs) But what a silly man in the past he is, isn't he? What a silly man. Little does he know that we took this magical device that seems to have been handed to us by the gods that can do anything and tell us anything opens up a portal to all of the knowledge in the universe and we've taken it and we've used it mostly to look at naked people and you know Facebook videos of people falling off their skateboards that's what we've done that's what the average person does not pursue knowledge they just sit there like idiots drooling Looking at videos on Facebook. Look, there's another video. There's another video. Like, share, like. That's what we've done. We've utilized all of the information in the world in an effort to make ourselves dumber than anyone in the world has ever been. So how does this relate to government scandals? Well, because we're distracted and we can't focus on anything for more than 16 seconds, especially if it's not something that involves naked people or people falling down in, in hilarious ways. Scandals that should spark outrage, debate, discussion that should last years now last minutes. In fact, already here we are two or two or so, two or three days after the FBI press conference. And this story is no longer the top trending story on Twitter. We've already moved on. It's no longer all over your Facebook newsfeed. It was for like, what, six hours. The news has moved on. Everyone's moved on. Part of that is politically motivated, of course, but part of it is just the nature of things now. Nobody cares about anything for very long. You know, we always say, well, what's next? We ask, you know, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? 
Next, 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 next. And so the crooks just have to lay low for a few minutes and wait for the storm to pass. And then they can resume running for president like nothing ever happened. Why do you think it is that, uh, you know, uh, the government is really excited and and really um, focused on making sure that, you know, we all have uh, Wi-Fi access and cable Hillary Clinton just came out a few days ago and said that um, she wants to make sure that there's free Wi-Fi in every bus stop and, and, uh, and uh, every airport, presumably so that when she's there, she can delete any emails she forgot to delete. And yeah, this is really the kind of thing we want the government concentrating on, right? Making sure that people at bus stops have Wi-Fi access. But you, if you didn't know any better, you would think, why would somebody like Hillary Clinton, of all people, who um, prefers to work in darkness who has so many secrets and tells so many lies, why would she want people to be more informed? Why would she want them to have access to information about all the terrible, awful things she's done with her pitiful life? Why would she want that? And the answer is because she knows it's just another distraction. That's, she wants distraction. She doesn't want us to focus on anything, to think about anything, to, put, to, put, to, you know, to turn off the screens and think. She doesn't want that. That is death for her. And for any, any, any corrupt member of government, for any, any, any person in power, any tyrant in power, that is death for them. That they, they stay up at night worried about the day that people will start turning off their screens and thinking again. What a horrific turn of events that would be. They can't stand the thought of it. So they say, yeah, you know, you have a human right to Wi-Fi, to cable. You have a human right to uh, Netflix, uh, Hulu accounts. We have a human right to, uh, you know, Playstations and, uh, and uh, even premium porn memberships. I'm sure that'll be next. I'm sure we'll hear that next uh, from some liberal politician. Every person has a human right to watch free porn. That all works out for them. The second reason why the government is not afraid of us is um, partisanship. Okay. Now, I'm talking about the mindless, stupid partisanship. I'm not talking about what the media calls partisanship. That's the good partisanship. That's, that's uh, the partisanship where a person stands for their beliefs, their convictions, and doesn't compromise. We need more of that. That's good. Okay? We need more people who will not sacrifice principles for unity. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the partisanship of, uh, of, of belief, of conviction. I'm talking about the partisanship of idiots. The partisanship where you, in fact, sacrifice your ideals and principles for the sake of party. The partisanship where the average Joe, who gains absolutely nothing from his party loyalty, excuses and even applauds corruption if it comes from someone with the right letter next to their name. I'm talking about that partisanship. The government loves that because they always have a team. And so they know no matter what they do, no matter what they do, as long as they have a letter next to their name, they're going to have a team behind them. There's going to be half the population that will just let it go no matter what it is. They love it. We've been conditioned in this way. It's insane. I say this again. You gain nothing, nothing, nothing. 
from embracing tyranny for the sake of being a good team player for a party. The politicians, party officials, they gain quite a bit, but you get nothing out of it. You give them everything, they give you nothing. That's how the relationship works between, you know, politicians and the citizen members of parties. But it's this partisanship that has prompted Democrats, Democrat voters that I've seen laugh off Clinton's corruption when they know for a fact they would not laugh it off if Clinton was a Republican. If there was a Republican doing all the exact same things, they would not be upset about it. And they know it or they would be upset about it. And they know it. They know it. Every excuse they make for Clinton, they know that they would not and have not and do not and never would make that excuse for a Republican. They know it. Everyone knows it. It's part of the game, part of the game that we're playing. And these are the same people, these liberals who claim to be, you know, anti-elitism, uh, anti-Wall Street, anti-pro-transparency, you know, sticking up for the little guy. And here you have this wealthy white woman who's lived in, in, in the, in the who's, who's sat on the throne of privilege her entire life, who gets to commit crimes that would send anyone else to, anyone else to prison, and yet she gets to be president. That's the exact kind of thing that liberals, if they actually believed what they said, would be out. I mean, they should be marching in the streets, rioting. I mean, that's what they should be rioting about if they really believed what they say they believe. They should be more angry at Clinton than I am because she is the embodiment of everything they claim to oppose. But when it comes down to it, their ideals are second to party. And the party is nothing. Three, we have, uh, this is related to the first two, but moral relativism. You know, it always comes back to moral relativism. All of the ills in our culture, it always comes back to this, that um, particularly liberals, yeah, that's why, and I'm not saying that this is, a, this is a problem that only exists on the left side of the equation, but here's what I know. I mean, this, is the, this cannot be denied. That, and it's not true for everyone, obviously, but there are many conservatives who have principles, and uh, not only do they apply them equally to both sides, but they even, if anything, apply them more stringently to their own side utterly unforgiving of uh of you know heretics in their own ranks of republicans who who do not stay true to their word that's a very common thing among conservatives i mean you just look at conservatives like myself what we've uh you know just just how loudly critical we've been of trump and to say critical is just is a is a huge understatement and why is that? Because we actually believe these principles and we're just applying them. That's all. And the last thing we want is someone who purports to be one of us misrepresenting what we actually believe and hurting the cause because we actually believe it. And that's why you're not going to among conservatives. You, you don't often find this blind loyalty to the Republican Party. I mean, conservatives hate the Republican Party and will say it all the time. Not with Democrats, though. With liberals, for the most part, they they uh, they just fall in line. You know, they'll they just go along with it. It doesn't matter, and they will tolerate r- really any corruption among Democrats. Any, it does not matter. It doesn't matter what they do. They'll they'll put up with it. They'll make excuses for it. Just total and utter hypocrisy. And it does happen a lot more on the left than it does on the right. It's a lot more common 
In fact, there are hardly any exceptions on the left. This has become one of the defining factors. Part of the, we've talked about some of the reasons for that, but another big part of the reason is that liberals are moral relativists. And so what they tell themselves and what they have, I guess, come to really believe, as insane as it is, is that uh, the moral laws apply to everyone differently. And so a Republican can do something and it's a terrible evil thing but if a, if a democrat does it then it's not terrible or evil and it's not just that you know they're more lenient about it or anything like that but they really they think it's it, it, it fundamentally it changes it could be the exact same act the exact same lie the exact same kind of corruption but the fundamental nature of that thing of that evil changes magically depending on who's doing it and they really believe this and so that's why what we call a double standard standard is really just the absence of a standard. A double standard means that they have two different standards for two different sides, but really they have no standard. There is no standard that exists. They just make up the rules as they go along. That's called being a moral relativist. So you combine these three things, relativism, partisanship, empty partisanship, I should say, uh, you know, the easily distracted nature of our society. And what it all adds up to is that um, the government makes out like bandits, literally. And we lose. Yet again. Wish I had something more cheerful to say, but that's it. And we're going to wrap it up there because I'm getting depressed. And if I've done my job, you're depressed as well. Sorry. I'll talk to you next week. Akruche Salus. Godspeed. Godspeed.